and 42 as we get started tonight. I think our next song is going to be Higher Ground. We may be looking for it here in a few minutes. To 342, naught have I gotten but what I received. Grace has bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting, excluded, pride I appaste. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by once I was foolish and sin ruled my heart, causing my footsteps from God to depart. Sin has left me happy, my case. I now am a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. God be the glory, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Tears unavailing, no merit had I. Mercy had saved me, or else I must die. Had alarmed me, fearing God's face, but now I'm a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story, to God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Suffer a sinner whose heart overflows. Loving his Savior to tell what he knows. Once more to tell it would I embrace. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story to God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Amen. Let's turn to 372. Our hymn book's prepared for all things. We can sing higher ground or we have an anchor. We've got lots of things we can do here. But let's sing once for all. Amen. Free from the law, oh, happy condition, Jesus has fled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, grace has redeemed us once for all. Once for all, oh, sinner receive it, once for all, oh, brother believe cross a burden will fall grace has redeemed us once for all now we are free there's no condemnation Jesus provides a perfect salvation come unto me oh hear his recall he saves us 
Thank you for this day and each one that has braved the elements to be here tonight. We ask that you would bless us as we study your word. Lord, I pray that you would give the ability to teach tonight, that you would give us the ability to listen, and Lord, that together we may strive to make this time beneficial for our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. At least we haven't had to throw out the lifeline yet, right? I mean, you still think of all those wonderful hymn names and, and uh, how they fit into where uh, we are. There's a hymn in your book for just about any occasion, amen? And, uh, but we're glad that you uh, braved the elements to make it here tonight. And uh, we, uh, I talked to the sponsor from the Heartland Quartet today, and they'll be getting in Monday afternoon. And uh, looking forward to them, and uh, Brother Ted and I were able to get some work done. And so, um, if in, did anyone watch the fireworks last year on TVs and remembers anything about it? Okay, if if you did, uh, talk to me after the service. Just a couple of questions. We want to try to make sure that we do everything. Uh, as well as possible. We're going to try to have our own music play, so, uh, and we're actually close enough that uh, you'll hear some of the booms actually come in through the, the building, and, uh, and uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes the commentary is more irritating than, uh, than the rock and roll music and all the other problems that they have. So uh, we'll, we'll try to get some good uh, music uh, to go along with it, and uh, we'll we'll have fun. Uh, if you want to know a blessing, there's a man in uh, Brother Shaw's church in the Portuguese language church. He was going to donate uh, some sausage toward uh, the uh, the meal, and I don't know what I said, but uh, and I don't think it was me actually that said anything. But he's he's bringing about 70 pounds of meat Tuesday. Uh, he's going to bring about uh, I think 30 pounds of sirloin steak, 20 pounds of uh, of really good sausage uh, that he makes. And uh, he's he's in the wholesale meat business, and he's said he's going to bring. 20 pounds of ribs and, uh, and a few pounds of uh, skirt steak so that everybody can have a little taste. And I'm sitting here going, this sounds... I said, now how do we pay you? He says, well, 
He says, I'll tell you what, I'll just take care of it all. And uh, so it, it's going to be, it is going to be a time to be here. Don't miss. July 4th, we're going to try to get things started about 5 o'clock, which means we're shooting to start the dinner about 5.30, quarter to 6. And uh, then we're going to have a service. Uh, I can't think of a better way to celebrate our country's birthday than to have a preaching time. Amen. And the Heartland Quartet's going to be here. And uh, they're going to be singing their hearts out. And uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, then... Uh, Lord willing, uh, uh, we have the technology and the ability here. We're going to beam the uh, fireworks. Uh, NBC is supposed to be carrying it this year, according to NewYork.NYC.gov. So hopefully we got it right. And uh, we'll just beam it right up here on the screen, uh, eight feet wide and, and uh, in living color. It looks pretty good. And... Uh, now, you have to remember who this is coming from. Anything, looking, television looking pretty good coming from me is, no, actually, the, the picture is very nice. And uh, hopefully the fireworks coverage will be nice and we'll be able to watch that uh, in air-conditioned comfort. Amen? Uh, that's the only way I like watching fireworks. Is, uh, no, it's, it's fun if you can be there, but I don't know that I want to go at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and sit all day in the hot sun and miss dinner and the singing and all of that just so I can be there in person to watch the fireworks when we're not going to use the sound anyway. Amen. So let's uh, uh, encourage people to come along. If you, if you end up bringing 25 extra people, please give us a call so we can make sure that enough is here. But uh, bring the salads, desserts, all the, con all the uh, extras, and we'll have everything for the meat and the table settings and all of that. It should be a great time of fellowship. All right, let's sing one more song here. Why don't we turn to 550, and this may be kind of a new song for some of you, but one we need to learn softly and tenderly, 550. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you. sung that song. Oh, good, good half of us here tonight. Let's uh, try that next verse. Beautiful song. I love this song, and we need to get this in our invitation music repertoire. Here we go. Verse 2. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? 
why should we linger and heed not his mercies? Mercies for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, all sinners, come home. Time is now fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering, deathbeds are coming, coming for you. people said, take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And we're just going to start reading in verse 1 again and try to pick up and move on just a little further. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own, over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. 
Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you, I'm sorry, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? See that they... So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, as we read this chapter here, one of the things that I, I want us to get a hold of is the simple fact that, you know, we've been 12 weeks and we've been chopping up the book of Hebrews into some very small portions and, and that is necessary for us to, to get the message and to understand what is being said. But we cannot lose track of the big picture. Amen? And that's one of the things that we want to try to do tonight is we go in chapter 1. It is comparing Jesus to really all the false religions of the world. If you remember, he was compared to angels. He was compared to creation. And he was compared even to God himself. And you take any false religion out there, it's going to have the root of one of those three things in it. They're either elevating angels or bringing angels up to the level of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what religions do that? Well, uh, just a few that come to mind. Uh, is the Mormon religion as this angel Moroni shows up to a guy named Joseph Smith uh, and begins to tell him all of these things and this angel is, let, is elevated in the Mormon faith to give all of these prophecies that supersede and change everything that's in the Bible. Uh, Islam, same foundation. In fact, if you want to study something interesting, study the connection between, not the connection, but the similarities between Islam and the Mormon faith. It's enough to scare you. And uh, really, the idea here is that all false religion goes back to the same origin. And uh, that origin, of course, is the devil himself. That's where it came from. Uh, we have a lot of religions that want to demote Jesus Christ. 
They want to bring him down from where he is supposed to be, as the Bible said, thy throne, O God, in chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. It's talking to God the Father is talking to the Son, and he said, your throne, O God. Now, how in the world could the Father talk to the Son? Unless Jesus is God. Amen? That's a simple understanding of it. And uh, any time that somebody wants to demote Jesus Christ or wants to raise someone else up to the same level, we have a big push going on in the Catholic religion today to elevate Mary to the position of co-redemptrix. Now, what that means is that Jesus could not have possibly, according to Catholic theology and those who want to try to do this, that Mary could not have possibly gotten the job, Jesus could not have possibly gotten the job done that God had sent him to do without Mary's assistance. That's blasphemy in the highest degree, my friend. Jesus is God. He doesn't need any helpers. We have all kinds of religions out there today, the New Age religion. And, and by the way, you say, well, I've never heard of the New Age religion. Um, have you heard of uh, L. Ron Hubbard and his Scientology? That's one of the New Age religions. How many of you remember that kook, um, or what was it, Embraced by the Light, Shirley McLean, or Shirley Lanebrain? I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that... Uh, that, again, is nothing but repackaged Eastern mysticism. It is Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Shintoism, McLeanism. I mean, it's all in there. And it's the same stuff. They just put a different package on it and try to sell it a different way. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've heard all about the news about this uh, man with the rats and how he had a thousand rats living with him in his bedroom or something like that and uh, but that's not in common I remember reading an article in National Geographic you go to India they worship rats over there the children are out in the streets starving to death and the priest in the temple just inside the door are feeding the rats more rice than they can possibly eat. Now, there's something wrong with that, my friend. And the reason why people do those kind of perverted things is because they get it out of order. No one has ever gone crazy truly studying and understanding this book called the Bible. Amen? People would like to have you believe that. But every one of them, you, you read, if you want to read it, I don't want to read it. I, I know enough about my Bible to know that you can't go crazy just studying the Bible. You have to have some help there. Uh, you have to be into something that is not biblical. And so we go through all of chapter 2, and again, we are elevating Jesus to his position when we get to chapter 3. Again, the theme of chapter 3 is consider Jesus, and we are given the illustration here of the children of Israel. God had given them an order. 
direct revelation directly from God. Now, I, I've heard many people over the years say, well, if Jesus would just speak to me literally so I could hear him, it, it would really make a difference in my life. Well, here we have the example of God doing that very thing. He came down in physical presence and manifestation on Mount Sinai. It said it looked like the whole mountain was going to burn up. And then the 70 elders went with Moses and it says they saw. And you read the recording of their vision of what they saw in the book of Exodus and compare it to what John saw in the book of Revelation and what Ezekiel saw. And, and you'll find some stunning uh, agreement with those, with those uh, visions that were had in different places and in different time periods. God had told the children of Israel, you're going to conquer this land. It belongs to you. Now, how many of you know the story of what happened? Remember our Sunday school song? Twelve men went to spy in Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good, right? See, I can do that too. Um, Ten of the twelve men that went through the land of Canaan to bring back the testimony said, we cannot take the land of Canaan. We cannot obey God. And we'll go check that out. But that's what it means when it's talking about the day of provocation here in Hebrews. God said, listen, there was a day when you had to make a decision, when the children of Israel were called to make a decision to either be obedient to my word or to be disobedient. They chose to be disobedient. Therefore, God called it the day of provocation or the day of provoking God. Now, that's not a smart thing to do, is to provoke God. And... Uh, we end the chapter, and it says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, I want us to get the big picture, and then we're going to go back and take this whole passage again. These people could not find God's rest because of unbelief. Now, we have a lot of things going on today. I believe that we live in as unrestful period of history as ever was known to mankind. Would anybody care to agree with me on that? I mean, we live in a time of personal turmoil. And uh, one, you want to know one of the reasons depression is so prevalent in our society and our culture today. It's because of the unrest in the soul. You can take all the sleeping pills you want, but if your soul does not have rest, you won't have rest. It doesn't matter how many hours of sleep you get. You can take all the Prozac there is, but when it wears off, you're not going to be happy anymore. And in fact, you'll build up a tolerance to it, and it won't work anymore, and they'll want to give you something else. Uh, one of the things I never have understood is when people get sad, they want to take a depressant. 
which is alcohol. Does that make sense? When you get sad, you take something that depresses your central nervous system more. You say, well, at least I can't remember it until I wake up. Yeah, but when you wake up, it's going to be twice as bad. Because not only are the depressing circumstances there, you've now depressed your central nervous system and everything connected to it. It, it doesn't make a bit of sense, but people do these things. Why? If we had time tonight, I would give you a case study in the dumb, ignorant, abominable, destructive things that people do to themselves and to others around them because of this one word called unbelief. It is, it is pathetic what people will do because of this word called unbelief. And before we get too critical about those who don't believe, let's, let's look at our own lives for a moment. One of my favorite stories is the uh, years ago, this was back before the turn of the century, a great tightrope tight walker uh, was able to put a rope across Niagara Falls and he took the tire off a wheelbarrow and he walked across by himself and walked back and everybody clapped and then he said how many of you think I can push this wheelbarrow across and everybody said yeah yeah so he pushes the wheelbarrow across and then he comes back and everybody claps and then he says now how many of you think I can push the wheelbarrow across with somebody in the wheelbarrow and everybody goes Yay! He says, now who's going to get inside? Doesn't that illustrate perfectly? I mean, it's one thing to give mental assent to the possibility of something. It's completely a different thing to believe. By the way, there was a young man uh, I don't know how old he was. He was a child, so probably under the age of 12. If Stevie had been there, he'd have said, Me first! And, uh, wouldn't you, son? But, uh, Matthew would have rode with him, right? And, uh, the little, the, the boy came up and said, I'll ride over. And the man said, Okay, no problem. He says, Now you have to sit very still. And you can't lean. He says, you can't stand up. He says, if you promise me that you will not move, he says, I'll take you across in the wheelbarrow. The little boy sat very still, and he took that little boy across Niagara Falls and back in that wheelbarrow. Now, think about the wonderful memories that little boy must have had till his dying day. As far as we know, as far as I know, uh, he's a, probably the only person that ever rode across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Why? He believed the guy could do it. He believed the man enough to sit still and not move, and they went across and they went back. Let me tell you. Same thing we've got here. 
they could not enter in because of unbelief. We have a world full of people who cannot have peace, who cannot find answers that they need for life, who cannot deal with things, and it all goes back to this little word, unbelief. And by the way, it applies in many more things other than just salvation. Amen? There are many issues we face in our lives all the time. And when we fail the test, it's connected to this little word, unbelief, somewhere. Because we take our eyes off God and we put them on ourselves and we start trying to figure things out and we start trying to make things happen and the moment we do those things we're not believing in God anymore we're too busy trying to believe in ourselves dangerous territory for the Christian to be in dangerous territory for anyone to be in extremely dangerous for the unsaved because there comes a time and there is a line and we do not know where that line is or may be in our lives. But the Bible tells us, just as happened to the children of Israel, that day came. You know what? They were not aware that that moment that those 12 men came back and 10 of them began bringing up an evil report and they begin giving excuse and reason after reason why they could not obey God. The children of Israel as a whole were not aware. This is the last day of our opportunity to be obedient to God. And we need to get serious about that we we need to as as a people we we need to look at this book called the bible and i'll tell you as i look at my life there are many times when i find myself coming short why because i'm trying to do the work and if i'm trying to do it god's not doing it we have this word that's going to be repeated in chapters 3 and 4 over and over and over again. It's the word rest. How many of you like rest? And rest a wonderful thing. How many of you get enough of it? Anybody's hands going up? Nope. I mean, rest is one of those things that we would all, we could all use a little more rest. Well, here's the key to rest. Belief equals rest. That's the equation in Hebrews chapter 3. Unbelief cuts us off from rest, so we could say unbelief equals unrest. If there is unrest in your life, unrest in your soul, if there is that turmoil and that percolating and it's good for coffee pots, but it's not good for the human, be uh, the human psyche and the human body. Uh, you don't want to be percolating inside. That's unrest. And uh, we're gonna, now we've gotten the quote-unquote big picture here of chapter 3. 
The reason we are to consider Jesus is because those that did not believe and did not obey the law, and this theme is going to be repeated often as we go through the book of Hebrews, they cut themselves off from the blessings, from the rest, from the good things that God wanted to give them. But if you think things were serious under the law, you better fasten your seatbelts because it's multiplied by 10 under grace. Maybe by 100. The multiplier, the number is not important, but it is many times multiplied. The seriousness of the matter that we are dealing with, God was serious under the law. The God that rained fire down out of heaven, the God that opened the earth. How many of you remember the story of Dathan and Abiram? They stood against Moses and they stood against uh, the truth and, and the ground just literally opened up her mouth and swallowed them up alive. That God said, says, you haven't seen anything yet. But God is patient, amen? Aren't you glad he's patient? The Bible word is long suffering. My, oh my, what God is willing to put up with to endure our fellowship. It is a frightful thing. Now, we're going to try to get the little picture here, and we're going to go back here to verse 6. It says, but, as Christ, but Christ, as a son over his own house, Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Now, a lot of people have taken this passage here, and, and there's another one right down here. Let me uh, find the verse. I think it's verse 14. It says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. And they've taken these passages and they've tried to make them apply that there is something that you, there is this holding, there is this somehow keeping of your salvation firm unto the end that actually locks it in and allows it to become real. That's not what the Bible teaches. Because Jesus said, I give unto them what? Eternal life. And they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. If we go to the book of 1 John, chapter 2, we can get just a little bit of clarity here. 1 John, chapter 2. In verse... Oh, let's just read verse 19 and 20. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know 
all things. Now, John is simply talking here about the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of what we call apostasy. That is where someone comes and is a part of the truth, and they may even make a profession in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And listen, anyone comes to me and says, I have trusted Jesus as their Savior, I'm going to ask you a few questions, but I'm going to believe you. We don't put you through the Inquisition in order for you to become a member of the church. If you say you're saved, uh, we're going to believe you. We want to believe that about everyone. This idea of letting go, if you can let it go, you never had it. If it doesn't continue unto the end, it was never yours. Because Jesus cannot quit in the middle. Eternal life that isn't eternal is not eternal life. And I don't mean to be childish about this, but sometimes you just have to say it as, as, uh, uh, as simply as you can. If, if the, the idea of eternal means that it never ends. If it ends, it's not eternal. If you don't have eternal life, you're not saved. The relationship with God is an eternal relationship, and we'll get into that in several months when we get down to Hebrews chapter 9, why it is eternal and why you can't do anything to earn it or to keep it or to, to deserve it. It's something that God has done all on his own, and he gives it to us as a gift. Now, when you get something as a gift, do you call the person up that gave it to you and say, now, how can I pay you for this wonderful thing you gave me? That would be insulting, wouldn't it? And yet we have so many people trying to earn God's free gift. You wonder why you run out of steam? because it's not possible. You cannot endure unto the end. You're going to run out. You're going to run out of you, let me tell you. You're going to run out of everything. But God never runs out. Amen? And that is why it says, listen, if we hold fast the confidence... Now look at these three things. Two things, actually. We hold fast the confidence... And the rejoicing. Two things, confidence and rejoicing. It says that we are to hold those things firm unto the end. You say, how can I hold my confidence firm unto the end? Well, number one, you've got to get rid of that personal pronoun, amen, my. Because your confidence will not hold firm unto the end. I mean, have you ever anticipated something and, and just waited for the day to come and waited for this event to happen and, and, uh, and you just couldn't believe that it was actually going to occur? And I remember the first time I think I really dealt with that in earnest was graduation day uh, when I graduated high school. Uh, I, I never thought I was going to get that far. In fact, Philip, 
Don't do that. Uh, in fact, they, somebody had written a book that Jesus was supposed to come the week before we graduated. And uh, I wasn't as uh, understanding of the scriptures. And, and uh, we got kind of nervous about that thing and began to wonder, is it ever going to happen? Is Jesus going to come back? Are you ever going to get there? Well, that was, good night, 24 years ago. Uh, it got there, didn't it? When you put your confidence, it is a fickle thing. You ever try to drum up enthusiasm for something? I, I can't wait for this thing to come. I can't wait. I can't wait. And it finally gets there and you say, man, I wish it were over. Am I the only one that's ever happened to? Are we awake tonight? Okay. Do we have some other people that do these silly things? Okay. I got at least one. Ted agreed with me. But I saw some other people going up and down. How do you hold this confidence firm to the end? If the confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ, when I waver, what do I do? I go to him and find out he hasn't wavered a bit. He's still there. Amen. If your confidence is, is in Jesus Christ, how can you falter? How can you lose confidence in Jesus Christ? When we get to chapter 6, we're going to find out there are people who actually re-crucified Jesus Christ to themselves. Only an unsaved person could do that. A truly saved person has their confidence in what Jesus said. It is finished. Now, is confidence based on feelings? Ought not be. Real confidence is not based on feelings. Real confidence is based on experience, is it not? You ever met anybody that was, I remember meeting a guy in Bible college. He was uh, one of the most confident, and competent, by the way, they're going to go together, uh, mechanics I have ever met in my life. That guy could pull an engine on a Volkswagen in 15 minutes. I mean, he just, and I mean, it just never wasted an effort. Never wasted a movement. I mean, he just took that thing and he, he could listen to it. He'd tell you every problem was with it. He was confident. You know why he was confident? He had traveled to Germany and spent time at the Volkswagen factory being trained at the factory to learn how to work on these things. There was not a problem that was going to happen to your Volkswagen that he hadn't already been drilled and thoroughly versed in back at the factory in Germany. I mean, the guy was incredible. He was kind of neat to be around. And uh, if you've ever met anyone who was really confident about anything, it's not because they feel good about it. It's because they have experience. They've done it. They've been there. I think of 
the confidence that has exuded. He ever met any of our servicemen or women up close. You talk about confidence. They know what they're doing, and they know how to do it. And they're going to get it done. If somebody only let them. Excuse me. Um, this confidence that we have is supposed to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do I hold that confidence? I hold that confidence by experience. As I go through life and I experience things, how many of you have had negative personal experiences this week? Would you just lift your hand and identify yourself? All right, almost all of us here have had negative personal experiences this week. Now, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Actually, according to James chapter 1, it is. Wherefore, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Because patience needs to have its work. Why does patience need to work in my life? Um, it's called confidence in Jesus Christ. Amen. And confidence in Jesus Christ will bring you through any circumstance you find yourself in. You say, but you don't know what circumstance I was in. Well, if you would say that, referring to Jesus Christ, my rejoinder, my, my uh, uh, statement back to you would be, I don't think you know Jesus Christ as well as you need to know Jesus Christ. Because the idea is that if Jesus is who he said he is, and there's no reason to doubt that he is God, then there's absolutely no circumstance, no problem, no uh, issue that can come to you in this life that is bigger than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's confidence. Then we have rejoicing. Now, by the way, if you don't have the confidence, it may be because you don't have the Savior. Now, the rejoicing is what happens when confidence prevails. Amen? Burrow me. Can we get an amen tonight? The, com the rejoicing is what happens when the confidence wins the situation. When the confidence in Jesus Christ provides the answer. And the Bible says that we need to hold fast to both of those things. Because if you let go of the rejoicing, let me tell you, it won't be long before you let go of the confidence. They go hand in hand. And it says, firm unto the end. Now, this idea of firm unto the end means without wavering, without going, well, I feel good today. God is good today. Oh, no. It's going to rain. God, why is it got to rain? You know I don't like rain. I didn't even bring an umbrella. That's not firm now, is it? 
Can I give you the antithesis of firmness? The United States Senate. Is that not the antithesis of firmness? I mean, there's nothing firm about the United States Senate, unless you're dealing with pasta. Uh, but firm pasta is still every which way, isn't it not? The Bible says that we need to hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Brother Nielsen was down here a couple weeks ago. Some of you uh, remember he came down to help us with the class and uh, I think he's going to be here in August to, to preach for us on a, Wednesday, on a Thursday night. We'll just have to check with that. Uh, but Brother Nielsen gave me the best definition of discouragement. It's forgetting who Jesus is. That's discouragement. Because if you know who Jesus is, how can you be anything but confident? And the answer for depression and the answer for all of this angst and problems that we have, the Bible says that we have a hope that goes beyond this life. We have a hope of an eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if that doesn't bring some rejoicing in your heart, your rejoicer's done busted. Now, that's not good English, but it better describes the situation, doesn't it? Uh, there's a problem with the confidence. And all of these things are connected to this word, unbelief. And I can't believe it, but it's 8.30. Maybe some of you can believe it's 8.30. But uh, the, the truth here that we're trying to get a hold of tonight It says, we are Christ's house. We are the thing that Christ is building. He is over us. If we hold the fast, the confidence, and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. And the reason we hold these things firm unto the end is not because you and I are holding them. I love the way Paul put it in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be done. He said, I am reaching out that I may apprehend that which has already apprehended me. He said, I am growing in my relationship with Christ. I am reaching out for a deeper relationship with Him. But I got an understanding here. Maybe we could use the word confidence. That Christ already has me. And when I am plunged into the depths of despair in this life, into the pit of frustration, into all the problems and the things that I face and you face and we all face just to live, that confidence holds me because my faith is in Jesus. I'm glad my faith is not in Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I'm glad my faith is not in some man or some organization or some group of people. I'm glad my faith is in one person and one person alone, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the one that died on the cross. He's the one that rose again. He's the one that has already given me eternal life. I don't know about you, but there are some days 
I make a real mess out of things. Why? Because I get my eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have a confidence. You see, he's holding me. I'm not holding him. There's a rejoicing. My sins are all paid for on the cross of Jesus long before I was ever born. And that faith and that hope and that confidence cannot change because God cannot and will not change. That's how the word unbelief is connected to unrest. That's how the word unbelief is connected to all of the destructive things that go on. It is when we turn our back on God and stop trusting Him is when we invite the destructive things in our life. Now, we'll just have to keep moving on, Lord willing, next Thursday night. Uh, it'll be July 6th. We're going to be having a missionary here. A missionary, uh, I forgot his first name. His last name is Brinkley. Uh, they are going to Scotland. And uh, they, the only time they could be with us was Tuesday. Uh, I mean, was next Thursday. So they're going to be with us July 6th. And so it'll be two weeks until we get back into the book of Hebrews again. And uh, the thing I would suggest that you do is just read over chapter 3 about 50 times until we get together again in two weeks. And we'll be ready to have fun. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do your work in our hearts and lives. That you would give us grace to be your servants and understand what it means to hold that fast, that confidence, and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Do your work in each heart and life. And before we finish that prayer, let's just keep our heads bowed. The altar is open. If you need to spend some time with the Lord, now is the time to do so.